The scripture is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 21. Let us hear from God's word. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but we are is but we are is known to God, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are to we are not condemning ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this. The one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all. And those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once were regarded, once we, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Just to dive right into the service. Uh, motivation is a big part of everything we do. And right now, you came to this morning, you woke up an extra hour early, you went through the rain, and you gathered here to worship God. And I wonder, what is your motivation? What motivated you to get up and come here this morning? See, for Paul, uh, motivation was big. It transformed everything he did. And he's writing this in 2 Corinthians because when you're falsely accused of being disingenuous, you have an ulterior motive. And false teachers in Corinth are saying, the Apostle Paul, he's not legitimate. What does Paul do? He writes this letter to say, here's who I am, and here's my motivation. And so Paul jumps into 2 Corinthians in chapter 5, and we study this in Wednesday, but he gives us motivation that changes for the Christians. A lot of us are motivated by different things. Maybe you're motivated by money. You're motivated by this pride to prove yourself. Some of us are motivated by fear. So Paul is saying, for Christians, we're motivated by different things. What, is, what are we motivated by? And so verse 1, if we look at uh, verse 11, I mean, Paul starts with, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. The first thing that Paul is mentioning that he's motivated by in everything he does, which is similar to what we should be, is the fear of the Lord. Uh, King James Version of the Bible we studied has a different word for fear, and it's the word terror. And I think that's not a great translation. Um, 
the fear of the Lord, terror of the Lord, doesn't drive us to do the work. As if a parent, if parent should bring terror to the children if they don't behave, the children will behave, but for a different reason. But if a child is motivated by, by love and joy for pleasing their parents, because they love their parents, that's a different motivation. If a parent says, I will take everything away and I will beat you with a stick, will the child be motivated? Yes. The answer is yes. But by what? By terror. So Paul says, fear of the Lord motivates us. And this word is describing reverence and all because God is so amazing. Because God is worth, God is true. God is the living God. And because God is real, I want to give all of myself to him out of joy. And so as, as I get older, I realize I don't need to please my parents. And I don't need to have that earn their approval as an Asian immigrant child trying to show that I could succeed. I realize, mom, dad, I love you. I just want you to know you did a good job and I want to bless you with my life. You have allowed me to have this. What is that driven by? It's a reverence, an honor. And so Paul is saying you and I and Christians were motivated by desiring to honor and please God. You're here today, not because you have to, but because of God's greatness. We're saying, God, we want to worship. It's, this is why we, I worship. My personal reason why I worship, even if I'm not a pastor, is if God is real and he is, I believe he is, I believe what he's done, I want to reflect all of what God's given me and give it back to him. This is not my life. This is the Lord's. So Paul is saying the fear of the Lord. And so this Proverbs chapter uh, 9 verse 10 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And somebody said, why is that the case? Because when you have fear of the Lord, it allows you to see the world from God's perspective. And that brings wisdom. Wisdom is seeing the world as God sees it. And so fear the Lord allows us to start seeing reality from true reality, not a twisted, broken, distorted reality. And so fear the Lord, Paul is saying, drives me. This is why I do what I do. This is why we preach. Uh, in many cults, uh, if you look at a lot of cults, they have this characteristic. Proclaim and proselytize and witness and bring them to our cult because your salvation and your acceptance depends on it. For Christians, we do it because we love, revere, and we know God is true. Fear of the Lord. Second, Paul says in verse 14, the second motivation, why he does what he does. This is who I am. He's not fake. He's not, he's not phony. Paul's, Paul's motivation is simply for the love of Christ controls us, compels us. Some versions say con constrains us. Um, now that sounds scary, doesn't it? It sounds like Jesus' love controls us. So let's look at the original Greek, and the Greek word is suneko. Suneko, I, suneko. It means to hold together. So put it together. Christ's love holds us together, and this is our motivation. God's love is the one that brings us together to hold this. Um, when you look at the news of school shootings or mass shootings, and they, they do a profile of the suspect, did you see the pattern? You've all picked up on the pattern. Every single, almost every single shooting or violence or somebody that breaks out has this common denominator. They were isolated, 
they were rejected. Nobody at home, nobody at school. They felt like nobody in the world loved them. So if you're going to do that to me, I will destroy everything that you love. And so love motivates us, but the lack of love also drives us crazy. And so what Paul is saying here is, you know what motivates me to be a proclaimer of this good news of Jesus Christ? Christ's love holds me together. Friends, Christ's love holds you unconditionally. That's the good news. If God's love was conditional, we're all in trouble. Paul is saying, Suneko, his love constrains me. It holds me. If not for this, I am lost. So I'm driven by love for Christ, and I'm driven by Christ's love. If you look in the back of our bulletin, our vision statement is leading people to love Jesus because Jesus loves us, to love others, and then it says love themselves, not in a selfish way, in the holy way, so that we could impact the world. This is what Paul is describing. The first encounter we have is to know this love of Christ so we reflect that and we respond with love. So Paul is saying, for the love of Christ controls us. The third motivation of why he does what he does in life is, is this, verse 18 and 19. All this, can the church say all this? Just wake up, all this. Just say to the person next to you, all this. All of this is from God. It's not from a teacher. It's not from a religion. All this is not from something that we conjured up. Everything you see here, everything about heaven, Salvation, sin, grace is from God. We can't contribute any to it. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself. And so God gave us a ministry of reconciliation. The motivation that Paul is describing here is, if God didn't start this and initiate this, I have nothing. If God didn't provide for the reconciliation by the living Lamb of God, sacrifice, the Holy Christ who is sinless, we have nothing. If God did not accomplish this and did not commission you and me to be his ambassadors, I have no motivation. I'm just like everyone else. So Paul is describing a different motivation because we have been made into new creation. Uh, this year, our co-family, we experimented and we bought a 3D printer. Uh, 3D printers are, are pretty fascinating. Uh, we, there was one on sale, so we got a 3D printer, Ethan is kind of filling with it. Uh, just yesterday, last night, he made a cell phone holder. Um, it's like, hey, you just made nine bucks. Amazon sells that for nine, so now you got it for free. <laughs> keep, keep making it. Uh, we want him to start a store and get out of our house as soon as possible uh, and just, just start his own business. Um, but what's interesting, when you make a 3D printer, what do you first have in mind? A, a design. Let's say you're making a boat. So, so you're creating a boat in your mind, 3D printer is communicating and starts printing, right? And all of a sudden, in the beginning, we didn't know how to work, so it started making a spaghetti instead of a boat. It started looking like, what is that? And it started sliding around and we're trying to figure it out. The, the design of the intent of the designer gives that item purpose. The, the designer is the one that orchestrates, says, this is who you are. This is what I purpose for you. And if you don't look like a boat when you're supposed to be a boat, I don't know what this is. <laughs> and so what is God saying to us? He redeems us in Christ, says you are a new creation. 
you are to go into the world to give the message of reconciliation. This is who you and I are. But we don't tell the designer what to do. The 3D printer doesn't say, but I want to be a spaghetti. I have no use for spaghetti plastic. But if you're a boat, if you're a paperclip holder, if you're a cell phone holder, now you're living according to your purpose. If you don't, you have lost your aim by the designer. Sometimes we tell God, as the product of his creation, what we should be. When we should be listening to the designer and asking, what is your purpose and intent? What is it that you desire? How do I live according to your will? We're very good at this, right? We pray, we have a vision, and we say, God, bless my vision. Bless what I desire. Bless what I want. But what if we, as the God's creation says, Lord, you're the designer creator. What is your will? This is the motivation that Paul is saying. This is why I live. I live as simply to be the ambassador because God has given all of this. He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised, verse 15. So great news about Christianity. C.S. Lewis says this. Be careful what you ask for when you ask God for things. How many of you love being forgiven by God? Just, right? I, I do. C.S. Lewis says this, be careful when you ask for that because God doesn't stop there. Because when you realize you ask for forgiveness, he's going to go all the way till he's perfect. He's going to remove the temptation. He's going to remove those little idols that go lead you back into sin. He's going to transform some things in your life because you prayed, God, make me holy in Christ and I want to live for you. God says, fine. And what C.S. Lewis is saying is, we love selective answer prayers, but God doesn't want to finish with what we desire. He's going to make us what he intended us to be. Powerful. This is why Christian life is hard. It's impossible. Christian life is impossible. Yet, but for the grace of God and the Holy Spirit in us, we can walk through. So these are the motivations that Paul is giving. Why is he giving us these motivations? What is the motivation for? And Paul ends it at the end with verse 20. And he says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. I'm so sorry, but be, play along with me. Say, I am an ambassador for Christ. W one more time. Say, I am an ambassador for Christ. Like that's a, we, we spent some time talking about that. Like, boy, I'm an ambassador. I'm not just a child of God. I'm not just a Christian who goes to church. I am in Christ. When I made a, became a new creation, I became an ambassador. So what is an ambassador? The analogy is frightening. Uh, by the way, do you know anybody who's an ambassador? Anybody know an ambassador? Uh, I, know, I know a childhood friend who grew up and married a translator in the UN. That's the closest I ever got. But that's prestigious. Uh, and he went to the Congo and almost died a couple of times. 2 Corinthians 5.20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, ambassadors. Uh, Presbyterians, this is kind of fascinating. The root word of ambassadors in Greek is presbeo. It does have a relation with Presbyterian, ambassador. So if you think about ambassadors, what do they do? Ambassadors 
are natives of this country, but where do they live? In a foreign country. They are citizens of a one nation, but they live surrounded by different language, values, and an environment that's completely foreign, literally, to what they know. They put themselves there in purpose to build a relationship with them. Ambassadors, when they go to the nation, so let's say there's a U.S. ambassador that goes to Korea and says, man, Korea is great. They don't renounce their citizenship. They learn the culture while saying it is great to be an American who has relationship with Korea. Korea is a beautiful land. But ambassadors never give up their citizenship. Ambassadors, they relay the words of their nation, their king, their president, their country, their sovereign to the nation. And they, have a, they represent the nation in themselves. That's pretty scary. So with the ambassador, whatever he, she does reflects on the actual country. So what is a Christian? Philippians 3.20 says this. But our citizenship is in La Mirada, United States of America. Best country in the world, whatever you want to think it is. What is our, if you're a Christian, where is your citizenship? It's in heaven. And from it... We await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. For Christian, you all became citizens of something else. We are citizens of heaven who happens to live in America, who happens to be Korean-American. But my citizenship is in heaven with Christ. So we are ambassadors in that sense. You live in a foreign world. And so when you start liking the world and start forgetting who you are, you have forgotten the purpose of your motivation. You have a calling and a job. And Paul is saying, don't just enjoy life, live, drink, be merry, and die with a nice retirement. Represent your king. You are ambassadors. William Barclay puts it this way. He's the commentator. Here is the Christian's proud privilege and almost terrifying responsibility. The honor of Christ and of the church is in his hands. By his every word and action, he can make men think more or less of his church and of his master. So that's a different way to think of it. When the world sees you and me, do they think higher of Christ? Do they think greater of the mighty God? Like, that's a scary thought. And so I got a confession. I said this to those of you who are new. I drive terribly. Actually, I'm, I drive aggressively. It's the New Jersey in me. It's unsanctified until I go to heaven. So I refuse to put a fish sticker on my car. You know why? Because that one time that I'm going to do something stupid and someone sees a fish sticker, they're going to be like, hypocrite. You know? By the way, I see that a lot too. Guys cut me off. Women cut me off. And then I see uh, uh, Hecky. He is greater. He is greater than I. And I'm like, come on, man. You were brothers. <laughs> why are you, you going to cut me off? But the logo represents, who, who, uh, represents a group that they belong to. And what Paul is saying is you and I are motivated by love, by fear of the Lord, and by what God's done in us to live as ambassadors for the world to see. And this is why we serve the community. This is why we try to reach the neighborhood through preschool. 
This is why we pray and serve. When people are running away from the fire, hopefully we run into it to serve. This is what makes a church great. This is why last week I said the greatest thing, John Piper said, the greatest threat to the church is not persecution, but it's prosperity. We think comfort is our goal. We surrender that, counting the cost. Lord, you want me to go? Let me pray about it. But because I revere you, because of what you've done in my life, the motivation, and because of your love for me, I can go. For you go with me. Do you see how this works? This is why we're ambassadors, and this is the motivation. So our motivation goes to the last part, drives us to be Christ's ambassadors, because God's purpose is this one word in this whole thing. And the word is reconciliation reconciliation god wants to reconcile us to god not god to us do you notice reconciliation never goes that way we don't say god will you reconcile yourself to us we never say that if you read it's always we are being reconciled to god through jesus christ because who are the lawbreakers we're the sinners we're the ones who desire the things that hurt us we're the ones who disobey god we broke the law And from the day we were born, David says, we're born sinners. We have been unreconciled from God from the beginning. So you didn't get unreconciled when you stopped going to church, when you started going to college and and started working. You were unreconciled from the beginning. And the only hope of reconciliation is the same hope that you heard in kindergarten, middle school, high school, college. Now, Jesus Christ is the one who reconciles us to God. So God wants us. God is saying, I want to be reconciled. So this is good news for the world. God sees the brokenness, and he's saying, you know what my desire is? I want the world to be reconciled to me. And so in this undivided attention of God, God wants us to be the highest priority. God needs us, and sin has estranged us, but God comes. So if you have your Bible, could you turn to verse 17? I didn't have time to put it on the screen, but 17 through 20, take a moment. Look at how many times between verse 17 and 20 the word reconciled or reconciliation is listed. Just take a moment, read it, and just call it out. Between verse 17 and 20, in those four verses, how many times is the word reconciliation or reconciled listed? Is there an answer? Five. Oh, nice. Five. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed, the new has come. Thanks be to God. That's awesome. Verse 18. All this is from God who, through Christ, reconciled us. Like, it's it's interesting. Paul's being specific. He doesn't say, through Christ has accepted us or blessed us or forgiven us. He uses the word reconciled, a relationship word. He's bridged this. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Not counting their trespasses against them. That's what reconciliation is. I know what you did. I know what you've done. I'm going to wash it clean. And I'm not going to count it against you anymore. That's forgiveness. That's why we say, thanks be to God. Um, God will never say to you when you see him face to face, before you come into the heaven, Jason, let me talk to you about 1985. What did you do in September? Like, I think scripture says God remembers our sins no more. 
as far as his east is from the west. He has removed our transgressions from us. What is this? Christ is reconciling us. And then verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Now that part is a whole sermon in itself, but out of all the ways that God could bring this good news to the world, he chooses to use broken, messy, imperfect people. That's you and me <laughs> to bring this message of reconciliation. Um, I don't like, I don't trust pastors. This is my opinion. I don't trust pastors who present everything as perfect. They're holy. They talk. They're, everything is just right. They walk and they're like, oh, I don't do that. Because I, I'm a pastor and you could cover up all you want to let the world know you're so pure. But at the very heart of the hearts of soul, that sin still lurks. That sin nature still thinks. So I'd rather be like, hey, I'm with you guys. I need the reconciliation of the blood of Christ. The only hope that I have is Jesus' blood. This is why God uses us. He uses imperfect people to be reconcilers to him. So the end of this letter, uh, this portion, Paul's message is a command, be reconciled to God. So to those who are unbelievers right now in this room, those who are kind of journeying through faith or maybe you're questioning, God's heart is this. He wants you to be reconciled to him. And the good news is he gives you the ticket. Verse 21 ends with God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. Like, like I don't know. I, would you rather win a billion-dollar lottery or would you rather have a security in eternity with the eternal being who created you, who loves you forever in his embrace? I really think the greatest hunger and yearning of our hearts is to be loved, to be wanted, and to be told, you are beloved. And this is what God has done for us. This is reconciliation. I want to end with a story. Uh, some of you know Max Lucado. Uh, and in his book, um, he writes this little story, and I'm going to read it word for word because I think this hit me in college, but it still lingers. And so he gives a picture of what this God who comes after us and desires reconciliation. Longing to leave our poor Brazilian neighborhood, Christina wanted to see the world. Discontent with the home, having only a pallet on the floor, a wash bin, and a wood-burning stove, she dreamed of a better life in the city. One morning, she slipped away, breaking her mother's heart. Knowing what life on the streets would be like for her young, attractive daughter, Maria hurriedly packed to go find her. On her way to the bus stop, she entered a drugstore to get one last thing, pictures. She sat in the photograph booth, closed the curtain, and spent all she could on pictures of herself. With her purse full of small black and white photos, she boarded the next bus to Rio de Janeiro. Maria knew Christina had no way of earning money. She also knew that her daughter was too stubborn to give up. When pride meets hunger, a human will do things that were before unthinkable. Knowing this, Maria began her search, bars, hotels, nightclubs, any place with a reputation for streetwalkers or prostitutes. She went to them all, and at each place, she left her picture, the mom left her picture, taped on a bathroom mirror, 
tacked to a hotel bulletin board, fastened to a corner phone booth, and on the back of each photo, she wrote a note. It wasn't too long before both the money and the pictures ran out, so Maria had to go home. The weary mother wept as the bus began its long journey back to her small village. It was a few weeks later that young Christina descended the hotel stairs. Her young face was tired. Her brown eyes no longer danced with that youth, but spoke of pain and fear. Her laughter was broken. Her dream had become a nightmare. A thousand times over, she had longed to trade these countless beds for her secure pallets. Yet the little village was, in too many ways, too far away. As she reached the bottom of the stairs, her eyes noticed a familiar face. She looked again, and there on the lobby mirror was a small picture of her mother. Christina's eyes burned and her throat tightened as she walked across the room and removed the small photo. Written on the back was this invitation. Whatever you have done, whatever you have become, it doesn't matter. Please come home. So she did. This is the heart of God. The reconciliation is not, you better fix yourself, and then I'll accept you. But this is the invitation of God is, I'll take you as you are. I love you as you are. I want you back. And so the message of reconciliation that we give to the world is not that God is going to judge and condemn you. We're already in lostness. But God has given us this hope of reconciliation through Christ who became sin for us so that we could have his righteousness. This is the good news that drives us. And so this is the motivation that leads us to this truth. We are ambassadors for Christ chosen by God to reach the unreconciled with this good news. So in many ways, in this story, we're the daughter redeemed, and yet we're the mother sending this message on behalf of God. Our God doesn't hold anything against you. It's already been paid. Just come home. Just come home. Could we take a moment to pray? Maybe this is you. Maybe this is people that you know. Maybe this is just in general for the world. But instead of complaining about people walking away from God, let's pray about it. Let's do something about it in a way that says, Lord, you've loved me. You've shown me how great you are. You've transformed me. I have all the motivation I need. What am I? I am the ambassador of Christ with a message of reconciliation. Let's pray. Take a moment. Would you pray for those in your life, those next to you, those Maybe you're the person, maybe you're the Christina, but our church, may we exist to proclaim this. In action, fighting against injustices, in action, feeding the hungry, in action, loving those who have been rejected. My prayer is these future shooters out there, the kids who feel they have no one in their life that they feel loves them, that they would know that God loves them that the answer to this may never be a legislature alone, but that God is, needs to create a new creature in each of us through Jesus Christ. Would you take a moment to pray, and then I'll close us. Let's pray.
God, the good news is so good. The, the truth and what we take for granted because we hear it often, that it, it's powerful. It's truly, the gospel is a power to save. And we are just merely the messengers, conveyors of this. We don't do the saving. You do, God. But you have invited us to this work because there are billions of people who have yet to hear and know you. And some of us, we're sitting in this room, and God, our, you've been calling for our names. You've been calling to us, and we've been ashamed. We've been feeling like you, you can't accept someone like me, but yet we hear this, that if Christ, you died for us while we're sinners, how much more would you love us and, and take us now? And so in many ways, Lord, we are the Christinas. We are the prodigals. We are the ones who, having tasted the, and seen the goodness of God, we ran away, but Lord, we're coming back to you compelled by your love, constrained by your love in Christ that will never let us go. But that same love also leads us to pray for those who are wrestling with lostness in this world, duped by false teaching and advertisement that their happiness is out there when truly you are the ultimate and the only happiness. So God, uh, help us to have the courage, not because we could muster it, but the confidence that comes from walking with you. God, we don't know where this particular church will be in the next couple of decades, but God, may we joyfully proclaim that to the very end, may each person be invigorated, fueled by the Holy Spirit and the good news to proclaim this truth to those who are longing to hear it, that they have been received because of Christ's blood, that they just simply would trust and believe. So that is our hope, Lord. Send revival, send renewal. May the, may the longings of those thirsty in their spirits find you, Jesus, in this land. And may the church wake up and rise up so that we could be ambassadors for you to the very ends of the world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pray. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exalts and with my song I give thanks to him. Psalm 28, 7. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us and your forgiveness of our sins. 